Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Do you enjoy the kids? How many? Well, yeah, I do. How many grandparents here came to see your grandkids? Raise your hand and just... Yeah, I was recruited this morning to go help bring my grandkids to church this morning, and I had to put their Doc Martin shoes on, and they're like almost three and four. Has any grandfather ever tried that ever in your life? <laughs> that is a really difficult thing to do, man. I, I mean, that was just tough. But uh, And how many of you enjoy being a grandparent, and then you can play with your grandkids and then give them back to your children? Anybody say amen to that one right there? Yeah. yeah. Amen. That's one of my favorite things to do. Just give them back, okay? And do that because I enjoy playing with them and then I get to give them back. So we're in this series. Um, it's, the, it's a Christmas series on the birth of Christ. And uh, the first week, it's called Arrival. The first week we looked at the, um, uh, the partnership that we can have with God as we examine Mary and how she partnered with God, with the birth of the Messiah, and what, how she lived her life. She was a virgin, and that qualified her for that. And then the second, we could look at the orchestration of the whole thing, and how Caesar Augustus really thought he was in charge, but he's not in charge, because God was pulling the king's strings to maneuver everything to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, because that would fulfill the prophecies spoken 700 years earlier, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's just one of the prophecies. And then today, we're going to look at this whole um, idea, and I, I've never even called a message this in all the decades I've been teaching preaching, and I thought it was kind of strange when I felt like this was the title, but I called it The Invader. Isn't that a weird title for uh, a Christmas message? But um, I want to look at the, um, how Jesus invades our life within the context of the shepherds. We're going to examine that this morning the shepherds, the invasion uh, of Jesus into their lives and how it affects them. Now, when you think about invaders, um, it makes me think about alien invaders. And I, I'm a guy that all my life I have enjoyed sci-fi movies, especially when there's aliens from another planet visiting. Earth. Anybody like stuff like that right there, Adrian? Okay, there's four of you. Let me talk to the four of you right now. And um, But I've always liked things like that. Uh, and there's so many to pick from, but I thought, you know, how many of you have ever seen the movie Signs? You ever see Signs? The aliens come in there, and I remember we watched that, and about 20 years ago, my daughter, when that, remember when the leg sticks out in the cornfield? Anybody remember that scene right there? My daughter screamed, and, and, I, and she'd already seen the movie once. And I said, what are you screaming for? You said, I know, but it scares me every time. And so, okay. And then remember when the kid's down in the basement and the alien hand goes across him and it's like, remember that right there? I'm going to just talk to you, bro, because you're the only one nodding right now, okay? And then you, you, know, you jump at that, right? And who knew that water would kill the aliens, right? Which really makes it a remake of The Wizard of Oz, does it not? Because water kills the Wicked Witch of the West. And so this is just a remake of that. But then, you know, there's other movies and... How many have ever watched War of the Worlds? Not the one from 15 years ago. Stop, 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 stop. I'm talking about the original War of the Worlds. Raise your hand. All those, it means they're old. I'm old. That's all it means, okay. 
But that's the real good one. That's from way back early 60s. And, and uh, I like it because those of you who raised your hand, did you ever notice in that movie, I'm born, raised Corona. So you ever notice in the movie, they mention that they're in North Corona. Has anyone ever noticed that in that movie? They're in North Corona. And I like that. And then I go, all right, Corona. And so uh, Crown Town. But anyway, <laughs> what? I can't say Crown Town. The Circle, Grand Boulevard. No, Norco is North Corona. You had to take part of our name, okay? Gotcha. But uh, that's where you get Norco. It's North Corona. You guys knew that, right? You learn something new every day here, okay? But, um, and so, but, the, but then the common cold is what kills the alien invaders. And, and then, um, you know, there's this one, I'm going to date myself right now. And only those of you who are way older than I am will remember this and, uh, but there's a movie back in the early 60s, maybe late 50s, black and white. It's called Invaders from Mars. And then they were under, underground. They'd have that gizmo and it would drill holes through the ground with, with sound or whatever it was. And I remember I was terrified, man. I was okay and I was terrified. I really believed when I was going to bed that the invaders, the aliens were underneath my bed or they're outside my window. And, and I thought, oh my gosh. And then a few years go by, I'm like eight or nine, and I watch it again, and then I see there's a zipper on the back of the alien costumes. <laughs> How did I not catch that when I was like four and five years old, right? And it really terrified me, those, those invaders. But the thing about invaders is they always come to invade and wipe out the human race and take over. But I want to talk to you about a different invader. His name is Jesus, and he doesn't come to force anyone to do anything. But he does come in love. And he does come to invade. And he brings a certain message. And we're going to take that aspect today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take you on three points. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 2. I'm going to give you the what of each section. And then I'm going to take it and I'm going to apply that to our lives today. And see how that fits with us. And so here we go. Number one in your notes, and that's this. First of all, the invader invades our day to day. The invader invades our day to day. Jesus is the invader who invades our day to day. So let me read verse 8 of chapter 2 of Luke to verse 14. And it says this. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth, swatting strips of cloth, and lying in a manger, feeding trough. Suddenly there appeared with the angel of multitudes of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased let's pray we're so grateful Jesus that you came to visit your creation us you came on a specific mission it wasn't just for a one day event on December 25th but it was for an eternal experience with you. And today I pray, God, that we would catch a glimpse of that. That we would see how you've invaded our life in a good way. To bring us to the place that we need to be. 
And so, God, we thank you, Lord, that we get to celebrate you again today, this Sunday. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen and amen. Now, let me give you the what. What's going on in what we just read? What we have here are shepherds. And these shepherds are in Bethlehem. Because Mary and Joseph must come to Bethlehem. Because that's where the prophecy 700 years earlier in an Old Testament letter, Micah 5, verse 2, says the Messiah will be born. Try to figure out how Jesus figured out how to be born in Bethlehem. Try to figure that one out, huh? But he fulfills the prophecy 700 years later. Now these shepherds, they are the Bethlehem shepherds, which means they're more than likely descendants of David, King David, because that's where David was from. They're the ones who would raise these sheep, these lambs, to be taken for sacrifice. And at Passover, we shared before that on that Palm Sunday, as Jesus was riding in on that small little colt, that full of a donkey, and everybody's singing Hosanna, and here he rides in. In another area of Jerusalem, these shepherds have driven all their sheep all the way from Bethlehem, and they're coming into a different direction in the city. They're coming to be sacrificed during Passover. Passover is the Passover sin. Jesus is coming in to be the Savior. John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so these shepherds are now having an experience where the angel appears to them and says, there's going to be this Messiah born. And if you think about the, all these things that are happening, these shepherds are going to be able to see the Messiah. They're the ones raising the very animals to be sacrificed to cover sin, never to cleanse it. And Jesus, who's being born, is going to be the one who's going to be sacrificed not to cover sin, but to cleanse sin for all time. So in one sense, Jesus is really putting them out of a job. Amen? He's kind of changing the course of history for them. And by the way, as I shared with you last week, um, we find here that they're out in the fields by night, the shepherds are. Now that tells you something about the time of year. Shepherds would never be out in the fields in the dead of winter. He wouldn't do it. So we know that Jesus was not born December 25th. I know some of you are shocked, right? But he was not. So don't go home and burn your tree, especially if you have an aluminum one from the 60s with the three lights. Don't go burning that one, okay? Because they don't burn. But Jesus is more than likely born, and it's more than likely late September. So just so you know. But we just choose to celebrate December 25th because that's the way the tradition goes now. So we're not going to split hairs over that one. But here he comes into their life. And if you think about their life, all they're doing is going through their day-to-day. And this is the application that I want to bring out to you. They're going through day-to-day. They're, bring, they're raising the sheep. They're going to get them ready for sacrifice. And then all of a sudden, this angel and heavenly host appears to these shepherds within their day-to-day. And in that day-to-day, they have this and then, or let's call it a but God moment, where all of a sudden there's an insertion, a divine interruption in their life. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, as I am, you know that a certain moment in your life, you had a divine interruption from God himself. You know there was an and then, but God moment where you came to the realization that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Any amens on that one? There was a moment in time in your daily routine and your daily life that Jesus now came and he started knocking on the door of your heart and you opened up that door of your heart to him. Now watch what the New Testament writer Paul writes 
in Ephesians chapter 5, and let me read it to you, five verses. Watch the change of course because you'll relate to it as a follower of Christ. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead means separated from God. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. Of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. Indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Here it comes. But God. Say but God. God. Say but God. God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ by grace which is something you cannot earn you cannot achieve it's just God stooping down to you because you couldn't make it up to him by grace you have been saved Paul this New Testament writer he makes it very clear for the follower of Christ we were once walking according to the course of this world and then the divine interruption came the but God the end then moment and we turned our lives over to Jesus Christ amen to that one see as a follower of Christ you have and I have a burning bush moment when we have this experience with God for the first time and we put our faith in Jesus as the Messiah risen from the dead correct there's that moment in time and we all have it so let me let me talk about that for a second so um this and then but God moment where God interrupts our day to day to try to reach out to us to try to bring us into relationship with him as the invader Jesus comes you know I'm pretty decent at explaining the existence of God if I get into a debate I could tell you that Penzias and Wilson discovered the afterglow of the big bang where the universe actually began which means the universe had a beginning there was once nothing and then there was a universe which means space time matter began how could that be how do you get something for nothing you need a spaceless timeless immaterial all powerful intellect we call it God I could talk about those things I could even talk to you about the evidence on planet earth for a global flood I could take it down those roads. I'm pretty decent at that. I'm not no pro at it. Pretty decent. I could talk to you about the existence of Jesus. Is it historically that he did exist? He was crucified, rose from the dead. Nine New Testament uh, eyewitnesses as authors, 27 documents. I could talk about that. I could talk to you about people outside the New Testament that also wrote about that too. I could talk about all those things. But let me tell you one thing. On August 12, 1979, at about 8.30 at night, I was sitting in a meeting, a church meeting, that I didn't want to be at, that I was tricked into going to, literally, in Anaheim, California. I was 23 years old. For five years, I fought Jesus off. I did not want him. I didn't want anyone talking to me about him just get out of my face and that's the way I was and that night I I decided I made the decision to place my faith in Jesus and to give him my life 
There was that divine interruption again, another potential burning bush experience. And I gave my life to Christ. And let me tell you for somebody in this room, the more times you reject Jesus, the more times you reject him, your heart grows numb, numb, callous, numb, till pretty soon it becomes very difficult to place your faith in Jesus. And I don't know how close I was getting to that. I know that my sister prayed for two hours in, the, in my room where I lived for two hours before I went there. I didn't know she did that, but she did that. And so when I went there, I put my faith in Christ. Now let me tell you what happened that I did not expect, and I could not explain immediately, but I realized as I started reading the Word of God afterwards, my life in that moment at 8.30, in the moment of time, my life changed. Before that moment, I remember I was 23. I'm not a, I'm party-hardy guy every weekend. I'm going down every Thursday night to the clubs because it's ladies' night. <laughs> guy, remember that, guys? Please, somebody help me out here, okay? <laughs> so I'm all into everything that you would think a guy like that would be into that's not walking with God. And in a moment of time, in a moment, everything changed. My desires reshifted. I no longer was going to abuse myself with stuff, and I sure wasn't going to take advantage of people anymore. And everything changed. I was walking according to the course of this world, then the divine interruption, the end-then moment, the but-God moment, and all of a sudden I shifted. Like Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and now I walked in the way of Jesus in a moment of time. Now, like I said, I can dialogue all the other ways to defend the faith and God existence and this and that, but the one thing that nobody can argue with me on is that my life changed in a second. How does a life change in a second? That doesn't happen unless there's a divine power that comes to dwell in you by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And it changed my life. That was my, that was my burning bush and then but God moment, the divine interruption of my life. And some of you know what that's about. Some of you experienced that. Some of you, you've come close. God knocked on your door of your heart, here or there, but you keep rejecting it and rejecting it, and you get closer and closer to less and less knocking. You're, running, you're walking on dangerous ground because God is trying to reach you in those divine interruptions the way he reached me and many others in this room. Now, why is the, does the invader Jesus come to invade that way and divinely interrupt? Because that's the second thing. He came for sinners. The divine interruption happens because he came for sinners. Now, let me explain this with verse 15 first. And it says, as we continue the story, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord God has made known to us. In other words, they say, this is incredible. Let's go see what these angels were talking about. And they go to check this thing out. Now, here's the thing you have to remember, have to come to the realization of. The shepherds, nobody has seen the God-man, Jesus Christ, now come to earth. They are going to be the first ones to see this Jesus outside of Mary and Joseph. Let me tell you what that means. That's illogical. That makes no sense in that day. And let me tell you why. Here you have the God-man. 
he's holy. But you have shepherds coming to see him? The shepherds. Shepherds were considered, remember whenever Jesus would go visit people and the Pharisees would get angry with him? And they'd say, he goes to eat with sinners. They don't mean sinners, meaning everyone's a sinner, though everybody is. And if you don't believe you're a sinner, I'll challenge you to one thing. Try one day, start in the morning, say, I'm not going to have one bad thought at all or one bad thought towards anyone. I'm not going to do one wrong thing all day long. See how that works out for you, okay? And at the end of the day, and I want you to mark down every bad thought, every wrong thing you did, mark that down, see how many you come up with. Then multiply that by every day of your life for how many years you've lived. You'll come to about 90,000, okay? So don't tell me you're not a sinner. We're all sinners. So here comes Jesus invading. Now these, these shepherds, they're considered one of the sinner trades, the jobs. A tax collector was one. A, a tanner working with dead animal skins one and so are the shepherds they're not allowed to be in the temple they can't come to the celebration it's, it's like saying you can't come to church because you're unclean because shepherds are working with dirty stinky animals stepping on feces all the time so they're unclean so the idea that angels come and visit shepherds and tell them you go and see the messiah logically illogical because you would think that God is going to call holy people to him, not the unclean people. But that really opens up our minds to the reality, and that's this, that we're all sinners. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life, in the past. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. God comes to cleanse sinners, amen? Let, let, let me explain this, let me explain somebody's going to say well Jim you don't know my past you don't know what I've done how could God bring me into his family stop 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 if you go to New Beginnings you know that I really enjoy watching like Dateline 48 Hours Mystery ID Channel anybody okay you guys know that how many like those things like the murder mysteries okay I mean I really believe if I wasn't a preacher I'd be a prosecuting attorney I'd just like to get somebody on the stand man of course, the mafia would probably edit me for getting, sending somebody to prison, but, you know, but I, I'd say, I get them, man. I'll get them. And so I watch these shows, and I really like them because I just like to, you know, figuring it out. And um, there was about four or five years ago, they started this new thing called comparative genealogy. You ever heard of it? It's how they found the California rapist who had been on the run for over 20 years at least. They couldn't find him. They couldn't figure out who he was. And this guy's hurting people. So these comparative genealogists take the DNA. And what they do is they start comparing. They can't find, he doesn't match anywhere. So they start comparing it with other, other DNAs they have all over the country. And they start narrowing it down to a certain family line, certain this, that. And then they narrow it down to a certain family. Maybe it's a cousin. Maybe it's one of the siblings. And they narrow it down. And they look at where this, these people were at certain times and this and that. And they put it together. And then they bingo. And they find the guy. Is that wild or what? Now let's say this. What if that California rapist... It was found out, and it was one of your close relatives. Had your last name, too. How much shame would that bring to your family? That person's part of your family. Now, let me tell you this. Have you ever looked into Jesus' comparative genealogy? Have you ever looked into his ancestry, the human side of it? 
Do you know that Jesus has ancestors, Judah, who committed incest? You know that Jesus has an ancestor named Rahab who was a prostitute? You know that Jesus has an ancestor named David who committed murder and adultery? You know that Jesus has an ancestor named Bathsheba who committed adultery also with David? So he has all these crazy people. How many have crazy people in the family? Don't raise your hand. But then he has, he, has, he has all these crazy people. He has all these people they could be ashamed of like, oh, I don't want them in my genealogy whatsoever. But he doesn't do that because Jesus came to forgive sinners, did he not? And it doesn't matter what the past was. Now, let me talk to one person watching online or here in this room. If I can just help you, let me try to help you. You walk around and you carry a secret of something you did years ago. And it replays in your mind. And the tapes replay in your mind. You may not realize that that's a spiritual enemy keeps playing the tapes in your mind. And it makes you feel bad. Makes you feel like second rate. Makes you feel like a loser. You might even walk into a church occasionally and feel like I'm the big sinner here and I don't want anybody to know. It might even lead you to feel so bad that you're going to go back to an addiction now and then to feel better. It might even lead you to blow up good relationships because I, I'm not good enough for this person. And you don't even realize you're doing it. It might lead you in groups to not let anybody too close to your life because you don't want them to know. What if it came out? How, what would they think about you? And so you walk around with all these things and just replays and replays. Let me tell you something that Jesus does. You come to Christ and he washes everything away. Everything. He cleanses everything from your life so that when God views you, he views you as sinless perfection through the blood of Jesus. Did you know that? And he allows you to come to freedom in Christ where you're okay with yourself. Yeah, you know that happened in the past, but you also know it's washed away. See, every one of us in this room has some stuff in the past. Any amens on that? And that God washes us all away. And he gives us this fresh start every day of our life because he came for sinners. He came for you and he came for me. And he can set you free. That's what Jesus, the invader, does. He comes, he interrupts our daily life, knocks at the door, burning bush experience. Why? So that he can cleanse sinners. So he can set us free from ways in the past. But that's not where it ends. And now we go to number three, and that's this. Jesus, the invader, what does he do? He adds the missing ingredient to our life. Now, here we go. Look at verse 16 to 20. So they came in a hurry, found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. So now they've got there. They're there. They found Jesus the Messiah, the little baby, in that feeding trough. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. So now they're telling Mary about the stuff. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. Now watch Mary's response. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering, say pondering, pondering them in her heart. 
By the way, pondering means to bring the pieces together. It means like a puzzle when you put the pieces together. It means she's hearing the shepherds. She's piecing that with what the angel told her about carrying the Messiah. She's piecing all together and it's making sense like, oh my gosh, this is, yeah, it's all making sense. See, some of us are very close to Christ right now because it's starting to make sense to you. You're piecing it together. Verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as had been told them. Okay. We're going to do that for me. Let me. Let me come down and talk to you guys. <laughs> Jesus is the missing ingredient. He's the invader. The shepherds in their life they do the same thing every day every day every day and, he, and then when they see the Messiah they go home and they glorify God they're praising there's a certain joy in their life is there not so something's different now that Jesus brought joy into their life into the and let me put it this into the mundane world they live in and every one of us lives in the mundane do we not we do the same things this way, that way, and we look forward to hopefully that vacation seven months down the road is going to change things for a week or 10 days. Or we live for the weekend, but everything else mundane. I've told my wife multiple times in my life, if Jesus wasn't in my life, my life is so consistently mundane, I think I'd go out of my mind. But because Jesus is in my life, it brings joy into the mundane. They go home and they are joyful and rejoicing. How do you go home? What kind of person comes to the door? Angry? Bitter? Frustrated? Life's not fair? What comes to the door? They come through the door and they're rejoicing in this mundane world of theirs. Now, let me put this all together. One day, Jesus, he's in his 30s now. We move in the story forward. He goes to Samaria. Now, Samaritans don't like the Jews. But Jesus goes there and he sits down by a well. It's in John chapter 4, Gospel of John. And he's waiting for a woman to show up there because he knows all things. He knows she's coming at noontime. So now we see he's right there for waiting. He's going to bring a, a divine interruption into this woman's life. It's going to be a, a but God and then moment. He's right there waiting for her. The disciples have been sent to town for food. She walks in. She's carrying a pitcher. She's coming for water. They get into a discussion. Now there's this divine interrupt, this but God moment. Jesus dialoguing with her. As they talk, Jesus now exposes her life of sin. She'd been married five times and she's living with a guy right now. Jesus doesn't do that to make her feel bad, not to condemn her. He, he exposes it to set her free, to give her new life because she's not happy. She's, she's got no joy in her life. She's come at noontime. Nobody's with her. That's the time shameful people come in the heat of the day because of the way they're living their life. And Jesus dialogues with her and dialogues with her. And finally, there's this moment in time where she finally puts faith in Jesus. She comes to the Messiah and her life is, is cleansed. 
And one of the things that, that Jesus says to her, he says to her, lady, lady. And I wish he would have said lady, but he didn't say it that way, okay? But I wish he would have. But he says, everyone who drinks of this water, this well that you're coming to get water from, you're going to come back again. You're going to thirst again. It's going to be the same daily mundane, mundane, mundane thing day after day, day after day. But he who drinks of the water that I give him, he who drinks of my life, he who enters into relationship with me, that's different. You will never thirst again, ever. And he's talking spiritual. He's talking deep in the soul. And the telltale sign of this woman that really nails, uh, nails a nail in the coffin is when she leaves, she had come with a pitcher to get water and she leaves and what happens? She leaves the pitcher. She leaves the pitcher behind because she found the real deal. She found the very thing that gives her life. Listen, everybody. Everybody's got a pitcher. It could be success for you and you could be very successful. It could be plenty of money in the bank. That's your picture. And thank God, praise the Lord. It could be your reputation. It could be your reputation. It could be the things you, your purchases and stuff. But let's be honest. Inanimate objects will never give you true joy in life. They just don't. And they never will. And they never will. You need something outside of yourself, outside the inanimate object. You need the invader, Jesus Christ. And he comes and he brings joy into your life, into the mundane part of your life. Otherwise, it's not making sense. Okay. So, um, let me tie it all this way. Um, I, um, I, I remember back when I was about 20 or 21, it's like 1999, something like that. I'm born and raised Corona. And, and, and you know, I, I went to Corona High. I'm a Panther. Any Panthers in the room right here? I, I, the whole Panther section right there, I get it. But um, first service, somebody yelled, Norco. I go, hey, wait. Norco means North Corona. You even borrowed from us, Okay. But, um, and how many remember when Norco and Corona were arch enemies? I mean, it was bad, right? Right? How many, yeah, only three of us remember that? Well, it was bad, man. We were the enemies. We hated each other. And now I pastor in Norco. <laughs> God must have a sense of humor, right? There's a whole backstory on that one right there because I didn't want to pastor in Norco because I had remnants of my old Corona High School days. But anyway. And so we had this newspaper in Corona called the Corona Daily Independent. Anyone remember that? The Corona Daily Independent, remember that one? Yeah, and it was Monday through Friday paper. And when I was about 2021, maybe 22, but somewhere in that time frame, they started to run a series of articles. And I don't know if I've ever shared this before. But in this series of articles that lasted a week to two weeks, South Corona, that's all homes now, used to be nothing but orange groves. Anyone remember that? You'd look out there, and it was just dark. There were no lights. It's just dark. It was all orange groves. So me and my buddies after high school, after school got out, we'd take our muscle cars, and we'd drive out there and race. It was great. And then pick up oranges and take them home. And so you, you had all these groves, and Corona Daily Independent started running articles that Bigfoot had been spotted in South Corona in the orange groves. 
How many remember that? I remember it. You remember it, bro? Yeah. They ran these articles. I'm not kidding. And so one of the articles, it was a statement like, you know, they spotted Bigfoot. Another one, another day, I remember there was an artist's rendition of someone who saw Bigfoot. And every day, and then another one, I remember this one, Bigfoot outran their car. And you know, so one night, on a Friday or Saturday night, me and about seven buddies, and I wasn't saved, and we're, you know, a little, you know, because I wasn't a Christian, we decide we're going to go find Bigfoot at night. And we really think in all of South Carolina, we're going to pick the one spot where Bigfoot's got his campfire going, right? So about seven or eight of us, we drive up there in the groves, we pick a spot, and we just go there, we get out of our cars. Let me tell you something. You know it's not real, right? But it's nighttime. <laughs> and it's just, what, you know, what if he really is out here, you know? It's just like, when you get in the right situation, your, your emotions play with you, huh? And so we get out of the cars. We start walking. And we see him. No, we didn't see him. <laughs> what? And my friends are walking in front of me, and I'm a little bit of an instigator. I don't know if you know that. And they're out in front of me, and I pick up a rock. And I throw that rock in front of them and hits the trees, makes all this noise. And those guys start screaming and running wreck, and they run back at me. And I thought, this is the greatest night of my life right now. But we never found Bigfoot. Listen. There are TV shows looking for Bigfoot, the missing link. There's no such thing. There's no missing link. They're looking for this link between ape and man. If this was true, if evolution was true, we would be digging up missing links all over the place, transition species of animals, and you'd be digging in your front yard, you'd be digging them up. All of they, you know I me, mean? they've dug up and all none. They have none. It's a theory. It's a theory that has never been proven, cannot be proven, but they keep preaching it that way. This missing link. They need the missing link for their evolution. But here's, here's the big deal. TV shows are looking for this. They're looking for this reason. They're looking for where they came from. But is it possible they're looking for the wrong link? Is it possible? Is it possible that they need to shift their look instead of looking for the missing link here on earth that never exists they need to look at that link that came from heaven Paul says of Jesus the invader there's one mediator there's one link between God and man the man Christ Jesus and if we would shift our focus as a society and take the proper worldview. We wouldn't be looking for something that never will be. But we'll be looking to the God-man, Jesus. He's the link that links God to man and man to God. By his death on the cross, and he carried your sins, and he shed his blood, so you and I could come into relationship with God the Father. He's the link that puts it all together. He's the one that makes sense of life. He's the missing ingredient. He's the invader that washes away our sins. He's the one who's right now divinely interrupting your life, trying to get in.
So you can have a but God moment. He's the missing link. And he comes to earth a couple thousand years ago to visit his creation. To visit his creation. So we can come into relationship with him. Because that's what Christmas really is all about. Nothing more, nothing less. He's the link, my friends, that will make sense of your life and save you in eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come, that you came for us. You who created all things, all things that were, were created by you and through you. But you came for us. You went to that cross <coughs> in our place. You, t- you substituted yourself for, our ra- for us to take our wrath because we're all sinners, every one of us. Thank you for carrying our sins on that cross. Thank you for your blood that washes away our sins. Now, friend, if you're here today and you have never placed your faith in Jesus, he's the link to heaven. He's the link to eternity. There's no other one. You say, well, don't all roads lead to God? No. All the other roads say you have to earn it and work for it. Jesus says that's impossible. That's why God came down to you in the form of Jesus Christ. You can't work your way to heaven. Nobody can. Because you have a problem still, and that's sin. Christianity is the only different road. It's the road. And the question is, will you confess Jesus as your Savior? And I am not talking about, well, I believe in God. That ain't going to cut any ice when you stand before God when you die. And a lot of people say, well, I believe in God. No, you must believe in Jesus Christ, the God-man, who came to earth, carried your sins, was brutally murdered on a cross, buried and rose from the dead. Resurrection. That's what you have to believe. That's the gospel. And then you choose to follow him. For the rest of your life, the spirit of God comes to live in you. And that's the game changer. That's the missing ingredient to your life. And if you'd like to place your faith in Jesus today as your savior, oh man, great. Or maybe you backslid. You walked away from Jesus Christ and you know things are missing you know it's just getting worse you know the frustrations and the angers or whatever are just building up because the missing ingredient is missing because you will not allow the missing ingredient into your life but right now you have a a divine interruption take advantage of it you could have an and then but God moment right now Will you make it right with Jesus and follow him for the rest of your life? I'm going to give you that opportunity. I don't know where you stand with God. You do. But if you'd like to place your faith in Jesus for the first time in your life, or you want to rededicate your life to Christ, praise the Lord. I'm going to give the opportunity right now. If you'd like to put your faith in Christ (laughs) or rededicate your life, I want you to do this one thing between you, me, and God. I want you to open up your eyes and look at me right now. Just look up now. Don't even wait. I'm going to look around in a moment. And when our eyes meet, you can close them. But look up at me and I'll look around now. 
Now let me pray for you because you've made the greatest decision of your life. It's the greatest decision. It's the one that matters most and it's not even close. I'm going to say a prayer right now. Those of you that looked up at me, you're going to say this prayer after me. Everyone who's a follower of Christ in this room will say it with you. But you who repeat it, you who looked up at me, you've got to believe. You've got to put your faith now in Jesus as God, the only God, who came to earth, went to a cross for you and me, carried your sins and mine, was brutally murdered, was buried, and rose from the dead, resurrection. That's what you must believe. The New Testament writer Paul says, if I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. So here we go. Those who looked up at me, repeat this prayer. Those around them, repeat with them. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for invading my life this Christmas. Thank you for loving me so much that you would die on a cross carrying my sins just for me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Holy Spirit, come dwell in me. Thank you for saving me. Now allow me to pray for you. God, I do pray for everyone who looked up. This is your greatest decision. I made mine 44 years ago. I have never looked back. I have never regretted it. I pray for you. I pray you open up your life to Christ. I pray that you get a Bible if you don't have one, one that you can understand. We have free ones here. Just ask for them. Stay in the New Testament for a couple years that you really start out. Read about the one who loves you and saves you. Lay down your life. Surrender your life to Jesus now as you've confessed. And then watch what he does. You're entering into a, a life that is contrary to the culture now. But you have found that the culture does not give you inner peace and satisfaction. Never can. Only Christ can. And most of all, he can save you. He can set your eternity right where when you die, you go to be with him. And that is everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for saving people today. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen, amen and amen. Stand up, everybody. Praise the Lord. It's a good day, huh? So here we go. Let's repeat this prayer out loud after me, would you? Here we go. Lord, keep me outward focused and fill me with your spirit. Give me the boldness to share the gospel with others. Open up opportunities to minister outside the church because I see what I'm looking for and make me into a generous person like you. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you Christmas Eve. God bless. God bless you. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media. 
on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco. Or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.